0: Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Rose Aslan. We're talking about what Rose would do differently now um, if she were to do her PhD again to make it a more positive experience. So we talk about holistic perspective, we talk about compassionate boundaries and we talk about the importance of embodied practices. So, I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Rose. Hey, Emma. I am so delighted to meet you. I've been Stalking you online. <laughs> I just love your work. I love your vibe, and I am so excited to introduce you to um, to the listeners and um, for them to find out more about what you're doing.
1: Thank um, you, Emma. It's a real honour to be here. Thank you so
0: much for for taking the time. I know you're very busy. Um, so we are gonna we're gonna talk about uh. What what you learned from your PhD experience and how mm. you would do it differently were you to do it again, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, but before we get into that, um, I always ask people just to tell us a little bit about their journey kind of into the PhD and out the other side. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Should I start with my BA or should I start how I started with my PhD or where should we start exactly?
0: Up, up to you, up to you. Okay,
1: Well, my PhD was in religious studies, and I call myself a religion nerd since I actually was in even middle school. I've been a religion nerd interested in spirituality and religion, so that when I was in high school, I took a course on world religions, which is a very rare thing in American public high schools, Um, but I took that course, and then I went into undergraduate studies studying religion, religious studies. My MA was in a related topic of Arab and Islamic studies-based studies based in Cairo, and then my PhD was also Religious Studies with a focus on uh, Islamic studies. And um, so I've done each degree in a different country <laughs> uh, and a very different educational experience. The first one being in Canada, University of British Columbia, the MA at American University in Cairo, and my PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And which, which system did you prefer, do you think? None of them. we're gonna get into that in a minute minute. right well right then
1: well i mean the, the one in cairo was an american system but very much also not an american system because it was in egypt um i mean they're very different experiences that are hard to compare um i'm not sure actually yeah
0: well well let's let's go straight to this negotiating the system kind of yes. discussion <laughs> yes that's what we're here for yeah. um so uh we were we were trying to think about what you how you might um what you might talk about uh because your work is has a, has a, a beautiful energy and and um is is about kind of shifting shifting culture dare I say um and we we decided that, as I say, from where you, from what you know now, what you, the work that you've done on yourself, mm-hmm. where you are now, that you would do that PhD experience if you would do it, <laughs> yes, um, again differently. So, tell us about that then. Tell us about the journey you've been on, and um, and then we can get into maybe how you would manage the PhD process differently now.
1: Yeah, sure. So at the moment, I live in Istanbul, Turkey or Turkey, as we call it now. And I've been here for nearly two and a half years, uh, full time. And it's had some ups and downs. But overall, I've been so happy to have left the United States and to live here full time and to make a new life. And I came here originally in January 2021. Um there was the beginning of my sabbatical. I had just gotten um sabbatical, I'm um, sorry, tenure and been promoted to associate professor of religion at my, my former university in, in 2020, right before COVID hit, literally about two weeks before COVID. So I never actually got to enjoy being an associate professor. Um, and then I came over for sabbatical because I had been aiming to come here for many years. And that year of rest, I was receiving my sabbatical salary and resting and exploring my inner world, a new outer world of a city and country I absolutely love was transformative and magical. And I thought I was coming for one year and I thought by January, 2022, I'd be returning back to my job, back to my old uh, way of life. But guess what happened? I never returned. And I am so ecstatic that I didn't return to that life because it wasn't working for me any longer. And I expanded in such different directions and new directions that I, I couldn't return to that old life. And I needed to stay here to see what would play out if I stayed here and allowed myself to keep on moving in this direction forward. Um, so about two, two and a half years ago, I started to get into coaching, Uh, I became certified. I I received certification also in a couple other modalities. And I started to coach like yourself and being able to work from home, live in a place I wanted to. uh, Whereas, as we know in academia, I couldn't necessarily choose where I lived. I had to go where the job was completely transformed my life. And I've worked, I've had a lot of time to work on myself. Um, So, this almost two and a half years of living in Istanbul really having time, control over my time, the most valuable resource we could ever have is time. And I have more of that in my life. I was very burnt out at my job um, in Southern California in the United States. And so my life is so different now. So that's why when you ask me about my PhD program, which, you know, I graduated back in 2014, it was quite a long time ago. Um, Yes, it got me to where I am now. um, But I know I didn't go about it the right way. I didn't have enough support or resources. And so it wasn't necessarily a very pleasant, enjoyable or enjoyable experience. In fact, I had a lot of traumatic experiences and unfortunate experiences during the process too. Um, Mm -hmm. And leaving academia also coincided a bit with leaving an abusive marriage. I left that marriage before COVID. That was 2018. Was when I chose to leave that um, to leave that marriage. Um, and ever since then, I've been on this thing, on this path. I call the healing path, and many people can resonate. It's, it's getting more common for people to go and walk on this healing path. And along this healing path, I discovered so much about myself, and I started to say no to things that. Uh, Transgress my boundaries, that I realized that people, I allowed people to treat me poorly at work and other places. So by leaving that abusive situation, I started to say no at work more to abusive situations, to situations that ex- were exploiting my time, labor, and energy, to the point that I just couldn't stay anymore. And I just had to say yes. I had to say no to that career so I can say yes to other things in my life.
0: This is that's oh, that is one journey that is one well many journeys actually isn't it that's yes. many journeys uh many 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 uh, um but look, so just before we get into that kind of doing doing the phd differently yeah. then this sense of saying no because i am sure that's going to resonate with lots of people yes. in terms of and boundaries um because mm-hmm. that can be huge for people yes. especially if you're you know if you're undertaking a phd mm-hmm. and you have care responsibilities or you mm-hmm. are working in another job um and you feel like you need to uh say yes to other things or you Mm -hmm. um not able to uh look after your own time and your phd time Mm -hmm. so in terms of this exploration and that you have done in terms of saying no and and putting boundaries in place do you have any any thoughts or recommendations for people around around that
1: yeah. So first of all, I like to call them compassionate boundaries because I noticed that in the Western context, people talk a lot about boundaries and say no in really harsh and cold ways. And for me, they need to be compassionate because we have a word in Arabic in the Islamic context, um, the words adab or with like proper etiquette or, or just like some gentleness associated with behavior. And so... I try to make these boundaries be more compassionate, be more mindful of people who don't necessarily understand boundaries. Now it depends on the context, right? But I have been a people pleaser like most people and especially women. I've been a people pleaser my entire life. Unfortunately, I grew up in a single parent home that was also abusive. And so I had to be a people pleaser for self-preservation purposes. And so I never was able to say no in a safe way right? Um, and so that lasted with me for in my entire life until I learned how to say no. And in, in terms of my graduate program, my my job as a professor, um, I just did whatever I thought I needed to do so people would be happy and I could succeed in life. And what I've learned is that as I learn to draw these compassionate boundaries in my life, as I mentioned before, say no to things means I'm saying yes to other things. So when I think about each year of my life. I like to plan my year ahead. I like to vision and dream about my year, for example. Um, So I say yes to a theme and things I'm going to do this year. And then I say no to other things because they don't fit with my vision. They're going to drain me and take away my focus, for example. So it's about being focused, knowing what I need in my life at this moment in time and knowing what doesn't serve me. Um, Knowing that there's some people in my life that maybe aren't good for me at this time in my life. Perhaps in the past, we could have had a good relationship, but at this point in my life, I need something else. Um, so it means that I do things that in the past, I could never have done in a million years because it, m- it means drawing these boundaries with people, uh, sometimes letting go of people, stop going to places, leaving an entire country and and tenured job, which academics are always like, are you crazy? How could you have leave a tenured position. Uh I did because I needed to draw boundaries and I decided that my personal life was suffering so much. You know, I was towards the end of my career. I was a single mother, uh living an hour away from my university, commuting one hour to work. I had no time to myself and my son was very young. He's nine years old at this time and he was uh about nine months old when I began my job and six and, and, and eight years old when I quit. Um so it was all those young years where I was working nonstop. Um, and by saying no and by reinforcing these boundaries, I discovered a completely different way of living, and I could never imagine going back to a life of people pleasing, of allowing people to draw upon my time, energy, and labor for free or for um, in that way.
0: Mm. So, it's, so there's this sense of. And I think it's really interesting that you talk about their energy because I I I'm really think about that. People often think that the boundary means, mm-hmm. it is like you say, that's something negative. But actually, I think boundaries can be really permission given it, can't they? In terms of exactly. going, do you know what? I'm going to show up in, with my best energy for the things exactly. that I say yes to. And exactly. So, so if, I, if I say yes to you, that means you get, you get me. You get full exactly. me not kind of, oh, well, yeah, I'll do it for you. And then I'll, then I turn up and I'm really rushed and I can't do anything else. Like in in a way saying yes to something that your heart isn't in, isn't, isn't always
1: the best gift to that person. (laughs) Exactly. And it's not beneficial for either either party. Right. You know, if I think of my, my academic career, I spent so many times working on projects that I really found unpleasant, you know, encyclopedia entries and, and like conference papers that I spent uh, tens or hundreds of hours on, and I I did not enjoy any minute of that experience. Right. And it left me with a bad taste. It made me feel drained. And if I think back now, like I received an um, invitation to write an article for a journal and I already know what I'm going to say without even having responded yet. Because I know it won't be, bring me joy. It won't be beneficial to me in any way uh, to write another academic article. So I'm definitely going to say no to that because I'm working on so many creative projects that are just so fulfilling to work on. Like And speaking on podcasts like your yours feels fulfilling. It feels like a beautiful thing. So... That's why I said yes to speaking with you, but no to a journal article, for example. Mm, mm.
0: And I think that this sense of of, you know, because people who if you're if you're starting out and you're looking for those opportunities, um knowing that you don't always have to say yes to everything and that you can yes. be a bit choosy, even if you're right at the beginning, because what will happen if it isn't the right journal for you, um, is it will be it will feel doubly, doubly hard. And then you'll end up, you know, when, when you've found the right place, um, there, there will be a different energy around it. Um, so yeah, so there's something about, there's something about being lit up, um, which is what, which is what we're going to get, which is what we're going yes, to get onto, right? Indeed. So, we are. so your PhD journey, I am sorry to hear it was, was not a great one and, um, had not a, n- left you not feeling like it in a great place but you were saying about looking back now how that could be could have been improved what you could have done what advice you'd give to your to your past self so so tell yeah. us about that
1: yeah first of all like If I think back, I'm sure there were some good parts of the experience, right? (laughs) Um, I can't necessarily remember them at this point in my life. since Again, that was a number of years ago. I'm sure I had good experiences. I'm like, I'm a nerd and I do enjoy nerdy things. So I did enjoy the hours in the library, reading texts and translating medieval Arabic texts. I mean, that was really fun and nerdy. Okay. So I just want to put a disclaimer that like not the, the entire experience was not awful. I did love what I did. But, you know, writing out a dissertation is not fun for anyone. The comprehensive exam year was not fun. And, um, yeah, so what would I have done differently? You know, first of all, I was still in that marriage that I mentioned about um, the entire time of my PhD. And that made it really difficult. So I would definitely not be in an abusive marriage. So, And, and this <laughs> is important, actually, because it's very possible that um, people in their programs... Uh, are in marriages, right? And in relationships. And often, when you're in a relationship in a very difficult situation, like when you're in a PhD program, you need the stability, you need the support, and you might stay in a relationship, even if you know it's not good for you, because leaving feels too difficult in that circumstance, right? Um, And so that's something to consider right? If I I was not aware much of mental health issues at this point in life. And for now in my life, it's of utmost importance. So first thing I would have done is I was good at seeking out pedagogical and academic resources in my university. I was always going to the Center for Teaching Excellence and similar kinds of um, places on campus uh, to the Writing Center. But I did not know about the counseling department, right? I would have definitely made use of uh, our I guess it was counseling, and um, definitely would have gone to a counselor. That could have changed my life at that point. Um, I would have uh, sat out the work or the support of a coach, for example. Because we're just speaking before you and I that the way I thought about the PhD and my mindset around the PhD and my studies, my relationship with my professors and my committee members, and my PhD advisor was not very healthy you know as i mentioned i was an extreme people pleaser so i said yes to everything and i didn't know how to have my own voice now i do admire some of the students in my program who had very strong voices they're very sure of themselves i'm sure that i lacked a lot of self confidence that they had and so therefore i just kind of went along with things and did whatever was expected of me um, and always doing even a little bit more. You know, I remember I used to run as a graduate student, uh, a speaking series, a speaker series for other students in my field of Islamic studies. Uh, once a month, I think we'd host graduate students to give talks. Um I tried to do as much as possible so that you know, when I apply for jobs, people will like me, so that my committee will like me. I tried to make sure to consult with everyone on my dissertation committee regularly, so they would like me and approve of me. So I was always searching for approval from others, and the way I approached my comprehensive exams and my dissertation itself, or you call thesis in the UK, uh, was really quite unorganized, um, unhealthy, and unfocused. Really, and. My professors were good at teaching content, but they didn't necessarily teach us how to write an entire book. They didn't teach us how to organize our thoughts, how to organize our spaces. You know, I needed a lot more support in learning the basics that perhaps others receive somewhere down in their lives. But I didn't receive this growing up at home, being a first generation uh, uh, college student and so something I kind of just learned along the way, but I don't think I learned it very well. So I would have sought out resources resources from counseling, coaching, um, and any other resources um, to help me maintain my wealth, well-being in terms of physical well-being, which I also neglected greatly. I definitely wasn't in the best of physical health, my mental well-being, my emotional well-being, and my spiritual well-being. Um yeah.
0: Oh, there's a lot. There is a lot in there. There's I a think, lot there. Yeah. So I think the sense of let's, let's start with that, that end bit in terms of looking after yourself yeah. and uh, that sense of kind of knowing, cause we, 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 we all know it, but <laughs> yeah. we don't all really, perhaps really know it in our, in our whole selves in terms of yeah. looking after yourself is fundamental. This is a, this, the PhD is a marathon. And you do need to have that because you, you exactly. were saying about being really burnt out, that actually this is exactly. so common for PhD researchers, and exactly. actually looking after yourself physically and say exactly. and emotionally and spiritually really, really important as a kind of as a foundation. Yeah. And then you were talking about that this this sense of kind of external referencing, isn't it? Looking to everybody else to say exactly. this is okay. And of course, that's culturally encouraged, isn't it?
1: Exactly. <laughs> that's what
0: we're taught to do, really. But um this sense of of seeing the possibility if i'm if i'm hearing you right seeing the possibility that there there is in that phd process to ask yourself what what feels right ask yourself mm-hmm. where you might take these ideas um rather than what those other people think of the ideas um and and then also you were talking about your um your supervisors and and the, the needing a bigger support system mm-hmm. to mm-hmm to really there's lots of skills to be Mm -hmm. developed on the PhD process like like you said in terms of organizing your thoughts structuring ideas
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that actually this gift to yourself of perhaps a bigger support system Mm -hmm. could have really really changed things for you if there was somebody on your team who was there to help you structure things amazing
1: It would have made a big difference, you know, because when I was in, uh, when I was assistant professor, I went through something called the National Center for Faculty Adversity and Development based in the US. Carrie Ann Rockmore uh, founded that. Uh, organization. And it was like a boot camp to bring faculty who are assistant junior, pro- junior professors from being in a graduate student mindset to being a professor. And that completely changed how I approached being a professor. And I probably could have used, I think they do actually, that same center has one for graduate students. That would have been greatly helpful because I just didn't know what it meant to be a graduate student. I didn't know how to use my time wisely and there was no one there to really help me. I just figured I should have known. And I was too embarrassed to ask because I felt like everyone, around me knew and I just should have and so I can't ask anyone because that's embarrassing. Yes. And we come to that a lot
0: on the we talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's like, why would you know? Why would you know? Like you say, you were first generation. There are lots of people in that situation. They they don't know how to do this. Um and they can't just ring up their mum and go, how 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 do you do a PhD? Because you know mum's got no idea. So this this sense of, of acknowledging that these are skills that you can learn and there are there are ways to learn them and um and mm-hmm. and that's okay and you absolutely don't need to be embarrassed about it because it just shows that you yeah. are a good learner right <laughs> they want to learn these yeah, skills exactly um exactly and, but i also what i also love about your story is you started by going well it was awful but there were good bits in it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i would just i, I guess i'd really want to encourage people because I am sure there are people listening to this at the moment who are going this is awful why have I ever said I'm going to do this this is awful I just want it done and to get Mm -hmm. far away from this as I can but but I I guess that sense of of like you said there were there were moments gorgeous moments and I I guess I just what we do here a lot as well is just to go have a look have a look for the for the gorgeous moments what is good in here yeah and 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 being with that yeah being with that um rose i'm conscious of time time goes very quickly on, on this podcast um so having said all of that and the, and what you would do differently yeah um looking after yourself getting a team together savoring the moments um do you have any any top tips or
1: top tip for us to, to take away yes i do so The main thing about being an academic means that we're people of the mind, that we really focus on our intellect, our analytical skills, and our minds. We're very proud of being intelligent people with high um, thinking abilities and, and analytical abilities. Now, I find that really important, but what academics mainly lack is the sense of embodiment, of, of being holistic in their body and mind together. And so I, what I wish I had discovered when I was a PhD student and before in my life is that my body and heart also matter. And so academics have a really hard time getting out of their head. You know, now that that I coach um, different people and some of the people I work with are academics and I also teach breath work and embodiment. And when I work with academics, they're the hardest people to work with because I'll ask them, can you close your eyes? Let's drop down to your body. They're constantly going back to their head and analyzing. And I'm asking them, notice the sensations you're experiencing. What sensations do you feel in your body? And they'll say, well, this means this and this means that. And And I go, no, I'm just asking. Asking you what sensations are you experiencing? Purely, just describe them. And academics have a hard time with that. So I mentioned that because we need it. Every human needs it. But for academics, it's the hardest skill to work on because we're trained to really be proud of and embrace our intellect, but we can't neglect our body. And so I would recommend any PhD student to look into what embodiment somatic practices can they bring into their life, be it something as simple as doing yoga with YouTube or finding a somatic coach or um, doing martial arts, like doing anything, breath work, anything that will keep you grounded in your body, especially when you're facing stress and anxiety and difficult times in your PhD process. Those practices and the tools that you can learn in, um, with this sort of support will keep you grounded and less anxious um, because you have these tools to keep you balanced and keep you in your body as well as in your mind. And this is key to being a healthy human being and especially to being an academic.
0: Oh, I love that so much. I love that. And like you say, there's such a range, isn't there? There's such a range um, so that people can find something that suits them and feels exactly. like it's really grounding them and empowering them and is a safe mm-hmm. place to go to. Um Rose, thank you so much for all of that. Thank you for sharing your story, um, and I, I, I wish you well with the next bit of your journey. Who knows? Who knows where you're going next for this?
1: Who knows? It's um, been an absolute pleasure, Emma.
0: You're so oh, oh yeah, thank you so much. Um, and we will have all your details in the show notes if people want to find out more about what you do. Which I hope they will follow you up. Mm -hmm. and become fellow stalkers
1: (laughs) yes you're most welcome
0: (laughs) thank you so much rose and thank you all for listening